I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter number 28. Matthew 28. As you turn in your Bible to Matthew 28, I just want to confess to you here this morning that I really, in all honesty, um, really struggled with the message today. Not what to preach. And uh, a lot of times as a pastor, I struggle with what to preach. But uh, I don't think uh, maybe ever I've had as much struggle with getting this message put together as I did this message. And I guess what kind of perplexed me about that is because the message is so, um, it's so important and it's so powerful. And perhaps maybe it's, um, maybe it's more powerful than what I'm able to really feel like that I can comprehend. Maybe, maybe here this morning I'm preaching over my head, so to speak. But, uh, my, I've been praying. I asked the men to pray for me last night, and I do believe that things somewhat came together for today's message. Now, that's certainly not a disclaimer, but I will say this, that the message today isn't your typical three points and a conclusion, because I just couldn't get everything put together with an alliterated outline, and any time that I would try to do, and some of you folks that have, you men that have preached, you know what I'm talking about, every time I try to get structure to the message, it would go in a direction that I didn't believe that God wanted the message to go. I think sometimes the message gets lost in the sermon, if you get my drift. And so um, if you will forgive me in advance for not being eloquent or being a pulpiteer, I do promise you that the things that we're going to be taking a look at are uh, hopefully something that will change your life. And I'm going to ask you before we read our text and before we pray... Regardless of why you're here today, I know many of you are here because it's a special day. It's Resurrection Sunday, and uh, we appreciate you being here. And I know sometimes people think, well, it's an obligation or it's an opportunity. Regardless of what you were thinking this past week or this morning as you got ready to come, I just want to ask you to do the best that you can to open up your heart here this morning, because opening up our heart to God can never, ever be a bad thing. And I'll warn you in advance that that's exactly what Satan tries to do, is he tries to make sure that all of us keep our heart closed to receiving the Word of God. Sometimes it's because, well, I already know what he's going to say. You know, there are many of us here this morning that we believe in the right things, but they're not necessarily working daily, actively, and powerfully in our hearts. And I want to tell you in advance that the resurrection and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a powerful, powerful truth, and it's a life-changing truth. And uh, it'll change your life for the glory of God and for your good, and ultimately, it'll change your eternal destiny. But there's no point in waiting till we get to heaven to have a heart for God. You know, if you don't have a heart for God today, then you're probably not going to enjoy heaven very much. Because heaven's going to be about being in the presence of Jesus Christ. Heaven's going to be about being in the presence of God's people. If you say, well, I don't like being around God's people. Well, I guarantee you, you're not going to like heaven too much. And heaven is more than just an escape from a devil's hell. And so please, I beg of you, I beseech you, as the scripture says, be willing to open up your heart and say, God, I want to receive 
will you have for me here today? Matthew chapter 28, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like the lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake. That was the guards, if you will. And they became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. And we'll end with verse number 6 for our opening text. The angel said, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, The Fellowship of the Resurrection. I'll explain the title here in just a moment, but first let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us today. Lord, it's good to be in church today. It's good to be able to focus on this resurrection message. Thank you, Lord, for your death, your burial, your resurrection, your redemptive plan. And Lord, there is so much in that message that we will never exhaust it for all of eternity. I thank you, Lord, that that message means more today than it did when I was a little boy, when I received you as my Savior. And I look forward to that message meaning more and more. Father, when we get to heaven and all of our heart and mind and thoughts are unclouded by our sin nature and by the sinful world around us, when we can just see clearly and focus what a joy that it's going to be to be able to look at a resurrected Savior. And I pray, God, that you would draw our hearts. Help us, as I've already admonished the congregation today, help us to open up our hearts and to receive the Word of God, Lord, more than just at a mental level, but at a spiritual level. We pray for anyone here today that is not saved, that this would be the day of days for them, that day that every single one of us need to have in our life in order to see the kingdom of God. And I pray, Father, that your blessings and your presence would be here. Remove all hindrances, bind the powers of Satan as he would try to snatch away the seeds of the word of God before they are sown in the human hearts. And God bless us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. That angel said, he is not here for he is risen. And if you'll notice in verse number 6 that the angel said, as he said. You know, this was not a brand new revelation. They should have understood. They should have recognized. In fact, when they showed up on that third day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, these who had this fellowship around the, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they had been at Calvary's cross, They should have recognized that he wasn't going to be there. Or if they showed up there on that Sunday morning after three days and three nights, they should have expected that if he wasn't gone yet, then it was going to happen any moment. But they missed something along the way. Now I want to remind all of us that the Scripture, and I'm going to give you just a real quick tour by way of introduction is that on numerous occasions, Jesus made clear 
what was going to happen. In Matthew 12, in verse number 40, Jesus said, as Jonas, we know him as Jonah, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In Matthew 27, in verse number 63, this is where the, the Jews, the Pharisees, were concerned that the disciples were going to come and steal the body of Jesus and then go tell everybody that he resurrected. They said, sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. You know, I scratch my head and I think that's interesting. The disciples and Mary and Mary and all of these people who followed Jesus, they heard him say it, and yet the rejectors, the Sanhedrin, are the ones that remembered what Jesus said, and God's people, the followers of Jesus Christ, that truth somehow just went way over their head. Now, I'll probably say more about it here as we get further into the message, but I think there's probably a natural reason for that. And it's probably a reason that keeps a lot of people from truly opening up their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, the Sanhedrin, they heard what he said, and they took it at face value. But the disciples, during this time period, I'm going to cut them a little bit of slack, because their rational thought processes are clouded by the emotional sorrow and grief that they're experiencing. Keep in mind, they saw Jesus die. They saw him say and heard him say, it is finished. And as he gave up the ghost, they saw all of this happening. And you know, it's one thing to look at it in retrospect, hindsight being 2020, and to know that he rose again on the third day. It's another thing to actually experience and to have known Jesus in the flesh, to have actually touched him, to have been helped by him, to have seen the miracles and all of the things that he did and said, and then see as a young man, 33 and a half years old, see him ripped out of their life. They were hurting. And sometimes our emotions cloud our faith. In Mark 8 verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. In John sixteen twenty two, And now, he said, therefore ye have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Jesus told him in advance, I'm going to go away, but you're going to see me again. And then in John chapter number 2 and verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And of course, this created a stir among the Sanhedrin. They thought he was talking about the literal physical temple. And I mean, they're looking at that, it's like, that took thousands of man hours and thousands upon thousands, and you're saying you're going to raise it up in three days? They thought, you're crazy. You're insane. You're, you're, you're out of the loony farm. And yet, the Bible goes on to say that uh, the Jews said 40 and 6 years was this temple and building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. 
Now watch this in verse 22. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. You know, it's interesting, and I know that if I was one of the disciples, uh, every now and then they would ask Jesus a question. And it didn't always go so well for them. Because if their question was lacking of faith, then Jesus would let them know, wouldn't he? Did, did, did you miss the boat, Jesus would say? I, I've already told you, you didn't get it. Is your heart so hard? And so I imagine they were a little bit reluctant to make sure that they thought through their questions before they asked them. But on this particular occasion, he said he's going to destroy his temple, uh, and in three days, he's going to build it again. And yet, they heard it, but it just went completely over their head. Why was that? Were they looking past it? Were they not? Have you ever noticed how you can listen, but not truly be paying attention? If you're a husband, you're really good at that. I hope, because if you're not, if you're a husband and you're a really, really good listener, then I must be more defective than I realize. Sometimes we're listening, but we're not listening. We're not seeing. We're not really grasping what's being said. We're only seeing the surface, only the facts, but not the truth behind the facts. And it's so easy to get lost in religion and fall short of truly having a relationship, a fellowship, if you will, with the resurrection. And so I want to speak to you about this fellowship of the resurrection. Our message this morning is going to focus on some of these characters that we find that are together and conversing and things that are going on, drama and narrative, if you will, that's all taking place surrounding that third morning in which the resurrection takes place. The first one that we'll focus on is out of our text, and that is Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. You know, it's interesting that this other Mary is referred to as the other Mary. How about that? Not not extremely flattering, but I will say this, that these two ladies were the first to the tomb early on Sunday morning. And when you think about it, if you're aware, Jerusalem is over 2,500 feet elevation. It's actually higher than Asheville, which is in the mountains just a couple hours from here. High elevation, it's an extremely arid, uh, dry climate, if you will. You look out and there's just not a whole lot of humidity. And I'm sure that at this time of the year, the time just after Passover in a high elevation, in an arid climate, then I imagine that as they got there just before the sun was coming up, it had to have been, I can't think of anything that's more refreshing than an early, brisk morning without humidity. I'm telling you, sometimes when I go outside on mornings like this, I am just invigorated and you feel so alive. I'm not talking about the times when it's kind of got a little bit of a bite cold in the air like it was a couple days ago. I'm talking about just that brisk, fresh, the sun comes up. I mean, you can just see that, oh, it's going to be a blue sky day. 
and it just makes you feel so good. And you know, these two ladies, as they went to the garden tomb, you know, it's a garden tomb, and this was a wealthy man's garden tomb. I guarantee you, early in the morning, that there were probably a little bit of cooing from the morning doves. I guarantee you, there was some birds chirping and just some music that was in the air. And yet Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they were, I believe, totally unaware of that refreshing, brisk morning. They were unaware of the birds that were singing because in their heart there wasn't singing. There was only sorrow and grief. You know, when you go through some tough things emotionally, it can be like being in a dark tunnel and you just can't even see the light. You know, every one of us have different ways of describing when we feel that heaviness and that fear and that just disillusionment as we think about the loss of a loved one or the loss of something in our life or something that just cuts down to our heart. Mary and Mary were not able to enjoy that resurrection morning because their heart was in an emotional state of grief. They were both present at the cross with the mother of James and John as well as Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now this other Mary, we find that like the mother of Jesus, she had two sons. Uh, One was named James. We know him as James the Less. And another son by the name of Joseph. That's interesting. Jesus had two brothers by the same name and had a mother by the same name. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary, the other Mary, are two different people and not to be confused. Just like there were many Marys in the Scripture during this time, there were also many James and there were many Josephs. And uh, if you read the New Testament, you find that there were other Judases as well. And it was a common name during that time period. The only other thing that we know about this other Mary is that she was married to a man named Cleophas. Now, I don't know for sure, but I do know that one of the two men that were walking on the road to Emmaus, one of them was named Cleopas. Slightly different spelling, but I know that in the New Testament we run across that from time to time. The same name spelled just a little bit different. One gospel record spells it one way, another gospel record spells it another way. Now we have no way of knowing that the Cleopas or excuse me, the, the, the Cleopas on the road to Emmaus was the Cleopas who was married to this other Mary. All I'm simply saying is that the names were similar, and that's all that we know about this other Mary. But you know what's interesting, brothers and sisters, is that the disciples, we see time and time again, we see these family connections among the disciples. We see that a husband and a wife both had put their faith and belief in Jesus Christ. We find that children, grown children if you will, and we find all of these connections between mothers and their sons and husbands and so forth. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that one of the best opportunities for us to have a fellowship with the resurrection and a relationship with Jesus Christ is that family connection. When we have family that has true faith. 
I think about the Apostle Paul, what he said to uh, Timothy. He said, I recognize that unfeigned faith in you. What he meant was by unfeigned faith, he says, your faith, Timothy, is not fake. You're not just making it up. You're not just saying what you think people want to hear. You're not just connecting the dots. You've got a true, genuine faith. And Paul said, I recognize it because I saw it in your mother and in your grandmother. You know, sometimes we get so busy thinking about winning the world to Jesus Christ and what we ought to do, sometimes, I'm not saying we ought not go witness to every creature as the Bible says, but don't minimize the fact that the people right in our home, that we've got a mission field right among our family. And if you're living a true Christian life, unfeigned faith, then um, one way or another you have a powerful demonstration of the resurrection by the life that you live. America wouldn't be in the mess that we're in today if more Christians would be Christians. Breaks my heart as I see what's going on in churches and, you know, the world looks at Christianity today and they, I don't, I don't know if they mock us, but I will say this, they don't respect us. And uh, it's not always because of me or you, but listen, Christianity as a whole has, we've lost our respect. Why? Because we've lost our holiness. We've lost our sanctification. We've lost our real faith. I don't know what it is about Christians who think that we can, we can be Christian, but we can still be cool. The two don't go together. And you know what? To, to know Christ and to have a real relationship with Him I'll tell you right up front, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some friends. It's going to cost you some popularity. Well, I want to go to heaven, but I I don't want to be one of those weirdo extremists. You know what? The disciples were classified as weirdo extremists. And Jesus said, is the disciple greater than the master? You know, they didn't think too highly of Jesus Christ. If you identify with Him, the world's not going to think too highly of you as well. There are many Marys in the Bible. Other than the nativity, when the birth of Jesus, if you will, as much is said about the other Marys in the Bible as is said about the mother of Jesus. Don't you find that interesting? You take the birth of Jesus, Luke chapter number 1, Matthew early on there, and you take all of that narrative and just set it aside. The Mary, the mother of Jesus, not a whole lot is said about her. As much, if not more, is said about all these other Marys, including this other Mary that we know hardly anything else about. And you know, there's a truth behind that that I think is pretty important. Listen what happened in Matthew chapter number 12 and verse 47. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, 
Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. You know what I see in this truth, folks? I see that we are part of the fellowship of the resurrection. If we will believe from the heart, if we will truly identify with Jesus Christ, if we will do the will of our Heavenly Father, then Jesus said, you get family treatment. You get family status. Just because Mary and his brethren, according to the flesh, Jesus' physical birth, Jesus says those who do the will of God get even higher priority. Now, I don't know about you, but that encourages my heart and that challenges me that, listen, we are not limited by anything other than our heart's desire to do the will of God. We can be just as close to Jesus Christ as we want to be. We can be part of the fellowship of the resurrection. Now, this second Mary that we find here at the tomb, we know a little bit more about her. She's known as Mary Magdalene. She was from the Galilee region, the area that Jesus grew up in, a little town called Magdala. And we know that Jesus cast out seven devils from her because it says in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 2 that a certain woman, certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities... Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. Now, I'm going to call a timeout, just a quick pause, and I'm going to let you know that there is a lot of tradition and supposed history that we hear about Mary Magdalene. I've heard, I've heard preachers say it, that Mary Magdalene was a harlot. And I thought, where do you find that in the Scripture? Doesn't say anywhere that he was a harlot. And of course, Hollywood has made some very vulgar and perverse suppositions about the relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And I gotta say, they're gonna stand before Jesus one day and give an account for how they have slandered him and how they have blasphemed him. Jesus wasn't a fornicator. Jesus wasn't a pervert. Jesus was pure and holy. The Bible makes it clear that there was no sin in Him. We have perverse minds that suppose things. I think about the close relationship between King David and Saul's son Jonathan. Boy, they were close. In fact, the Bible says that their love for one another surpassed the love of women. But there's nothing perverse in that. That's just real, pure, true love. There was nothing sexual about that friendship between David and Jonathan. And for people to read that into it, it comes from a perverse, pornographic mind. Shame on whoever. I won't say shame on you. I'll assume that nobody in this auditorium would think such a thing. Shame on them. Perverting and twisting the Scripture based on our wicked perception. And brothers and sisters, we're living in a world that our perception is messed up because it's been corrupted by all of the just the things that we hear and see and sexuality and gender confusion and so forth. Kids are being trained this. You know, there are kids who are at five years old, little boys that say, and I think I'm a girl. 
Listen, anybody that's got a little bit of age on them, that's preposterous. And I'm going to just go out on a limb just a little bit. It's not just generational. It's not just like, well, they've been liberated and they're coming out of the closet. No, I don't believe that when I was five years old, I don't believe that there was anybody I ever came into contact, a five-year-old boy that thought, I think I'll be a girl. Where'd that come from? It was put into people's minds. Five-year-old doesn't even think that. It's crazy, folks. All we know about Mary Magdalene is that she had seven devils. No doubt she probably had infirmities that were related to those devils. But we don't know that the actual physical or spiritual effect that these seven devils had on her, but I guarantee you it was not pleasant. It was not good. But Jesus passed by and he cast out those devils. We find if you'll turn to the book of John chapter number 20, we find that Mary and in John's gospel, and, and let me say this, as you read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that the stories aren't identical. And it doesn't mean that they contradict one another. What it means is they complement one another. They're kind of like pieces of a puzzle, and they fill in the blanks. And uh, one narrative may uh, say it a little bit differently, may leave this out. This one may add something to it. And if you take all of those and you put them like a transparency on top of each other, you'll see the full picture. They're complementary of one another, not contradictory of one another. And so many so-called Bible scholars and seminary professors have said, see, there's a, there's a contradiction and a mistake in the Bible. Let's change it. No, the Bible doesn't need to be rewritten. It needs to be reread. Mary Magdalene, if you look at John chapter number 20 and verse number 11, it says, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Now John only tells about Mary Magdalene being here. He leaves out the other Mary. But you know, there were times when John would leave out. In fact, you find one narrative at the cross that the mother of John is there with the two Marys, and John doesn't mention his own mother. John was a very, I guess, shy and unassuming man. He doesn't even refer to himself by name in his own gospel. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He didn't want attention drawn to himself or his family. And so he only tells us about Mary Magdalene. She's weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. 
She's grieving. The, the angels had already told her he's not here, but he's risen. And it's just not sinking in. That grief and that sorrow and the fact that there's no body. He's supposed to be here and he's not. And she can't just, the, the truth that the angels said just would not sink in. But notice in verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Oh, listen, how when Jesus mentioned her name, she recognized him. And then he said in verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. There's some lessons that we can learn from this fellowship of the resurrection. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. First of all, I want to make clear here this morning that the way of faith is not without sorrow and suffering. Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to be resurrected on the third day. Now, I don't know about you, but it's been many years since I've lost both my father and my mother. Over 20 years with, uh, with my dad, over five years with my mom. And you know what? It, it, there's been some pretty tough times that, uh, times when I'm reminded and times especially the first few weeks after they were gone, how that the emotions would just overwhelm. And I would think something inside of me is getting ready to snap. I can't take this. You've never been touched by a close loved one, such as a parent or a child. Then uh, you don't know what I'm talking about. And I pray that God would spare you from those feelings. But if you're like most people, you're probably eventually, you're going to have those feelings. But you know what? To feel those feelings for just three days and three nights, I would look back and I'd say, that's a piece of cake. Because there's been some long nights, some long months, and I can remember a long year after losing my parents. But three days and three nights, that's really not a big deal. But Mary and Mary didn't understand that. They didn't know. It hadn't registered to them. The way of faith is not without sorrow and suffering. There will be times in your life that God will hide himself. I'm going to say that again. There will be times in your life that God will hide himself. It doesn't mean he's not there. He's not forsaken you. But he'll hide himself. He has a reason. It's times like this that we must learn to lean on the word of God. Brothers and sisters, we don't always have some manifestation or some miracle We don't always have God showing up and just fixing and solving all of our problems. In fact, in this day and age that we live in, that seldom happens. But I'll tell you what we do have. We have the written Word of God. 
And at times when we think that God is nowhere near because he's hiding himself, it is those times that God says, I've got something for you that is better than gold. And your sorrow and your suffering is purging away the dross if you'll just simply keep looking, keep panning, keep mining for the gold. You'll find the gold of faith found in the Scripture. You'll find the fellowship of the resurrection. I find also that sometimes our good intentions are misguided. In Mark 16, verse number 1 Mark's gospel explains why Mary and the other Mary were even there at the tomb. It says that they had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. It's been three days, and they know, just like you remember the story of Lazarus, and Mary said, he's been dead four days, by now he stinketh. They, they understood death. And you know, by the way, I want to say this. I didn't plan on saying it here this morning. Do you know why so many of us, the resurrection really doesn't have the meaning that it ought to have? It's because life has been cheapened. We live in a culture, today life has been cheapened. We don't value human life. It's become cheap and trivial. We murder babies before they're ever born. We have children at young ages that play video games where they're just blasting bloody guts and blasting people and they think all I have to do is hit a reset button. Moms, dads, have better sense than that. Don't allow your children to be desensitized to violence. I grew up with boxing. Some of you old timers, you remember boxing. I don't even know if they have boxing anymore. It's all US, UFC and MMA and all that. used to be they'd put gloves on and they would box and there were some rules. And now they put two people in the ring and they just beat each other to a bloody pulp. Hey, you ain't looking at no soccer dad here. That would be the male version of a soccer mom. Hey, I like competition. I, I like to read about war. Um, I still have a little bit of testosterone in my veins. Ah, I, like, I like all that macho masculine stuff. But can I ask you a question? I read in the Bible and I read that Nineveh and Sodom and the days of Noah... Not only were they typified by sexual perversion, but the Bible says repetitively, violence, violence, violence. It's a sign and a symptom of a godless culture. When we think, I was talking to somebody just the other day, and we were, you know, war stories about the high school days and talking about fights that we got into. And I said, you know what, I got into, I got in maybe half a dozen, seven or eight fights. I won a few of them. I lost a few of them. I can remember a couple times that I avoided them because the guy I knew would kill me, and I allowed him to humiliate me so that he wouldn't kill me. I've got times where I can look back and say, oh, I was courageous, and other times when I was a coward. But you know, in all of those things, I remember that while I wanted to win the fight, I can't remember ever wanting to actually brutalize or harm the person that I was fighting. Now, I don't know if that's because I was saved as a five-year-old boy. I don't know if it's just the nature that I had. But you know what? 
I didn't want to lose the fight, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to injure or destroy the person. And there are some people that they don't even give it a second thought to maim or to hurt or even to kill someone. You know how many, how many incidents are taking place every day in our country today? Senseless murders. And it's from every angle of the equation. Conservative, Democrat, whites, blacks, you name it. There's all kinds of violence and senseless killings. And it's getting more and more. Can you imagine? There is probably every day in our country there is a new news article that 20 years ago would have been the thing that people would be talking about for six months. And now we don't even pay any attention to it because it happens every day. The devalue of human life. Listen, we are created by God. And we are created in the image of God. We are moral agents. And we have eternal souls. And the scientific community and the education and the Hollywood community and the media and all of those things are trying to brainwash you into thinking that we came from some cataclysmic accidental explosion and we're no different from the animals. Listen, the liberal world gets more worked up over the mistreatment of a dog than they do the killing of a child. No wonder we preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ and people just go, is he about done? When's this preacher going to shut up? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, folks. It's the most important thing that's ever taken place in human history. More important than the Super Bowl. More important than the World Series. Which, by the way, I'm boycotting Major League Baseball. Is it crazy? You know what? If God's people would start boycotting all of these boycotters, make them hurt, take their money away from them. You take your money away, you'll take the power away from them. Sorry. <laughs> the resurrection. What can be more important? than this event that took place some 2,000 years ago. I guarantee you, it'll be important when you breathe your last breath. It'll be the difference between waking up in a burning hell or waking up in the presence of Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing is more important. I guess these misguided intentions were... The fact that they had lost sight of the, as he said, like the angel reminded them. You know, another lesson that I see here, and I've got to hurry, and that's that uh, closeness to Jesus is based on our present, not our past. Mary Magdalene had a horrible past. We don't even know the details. But seven devils possessing her, I guarantee you, she had some things that she didn't want anybody to know, and Jesus knew all of them. And yet, here she had a closeness to Jesus Christ that no one else had. In fact, after Jesus rose from the dead, what's the first name that came out of his lips? Mary. 
our closeness. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. If you're saved or if you get saved or you uh, repent and confess it, God will wipe the slate clean and you can have as close of a fellowship of the resurrection as you desire to have. Mary Magdalene did not believe the angels and did not recognize the voice of Jesus until he spoke her name. How about you? Will you recognize when Jesus calls your name? I remember when Jesus called my name. I was just uh, 18 years old. Now, Jesus uh, spoke to my heart as a five-year-old boy. So, I mean, a, a faithful preacher gave me the gospel, and I responded with a tender heart. But, you know, all of that is so just vague because of my age. I don't remember a lot about it. I don't remember the details. But I remember like it was yesterday, one month after I graduated high school, I remember when the Lord spoke my name. And it was in conviction. It wasn't like Mary's here. And it wasn't something that was welcome. I didn't want to hear Jesus speak my name on that day. Maybe another day, Lord. It's not a convenient time today. And when Jesus spoke my name, I just kind of tried to hide from him. And uh, boy, I wish that I would have listened to him. It would have saved myself a lot of heartache and grief if I would have just turned to Jesus and said, Yes, Lord. Will you recognize when Jesus calls your name? i got to go quickly here. The second... This is the, the, the only other characters that I want us to take a look at. We're already in the book of John in chapter 20. And I want you to look with me at verse number 4. John 20, verse number 4. This is Peter and John. And it says in verse number 4, So they ran both together. And the other disciple, John speaking of himself, did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed." For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. You know, we know a whole lot about Peter and John. We know that Peter was a very strong personality, very strong-willed. Peter was a very proud man. He was always worrying about what people thought of him. Peter was also a very zealous, devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He was a man of faith. None of the other disciples even had the gumption to say, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come unto thee in the water. Uh, I mean, he walked more steps on water than any of the other disciples. And other than Jesus, I'd have to say he walked more steps than anyone else. But he was also a man who didn't listen to the admonition of Jesus when Jesus said, you know, he told the Lord, he said, though everyone uh, betrays you, yet not will I. Jesus said, Peter, verily I say unto thee, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. 
Oh, no, not me, Lord, not me. And, you know, it was literally hours later. We're not talking about something that Jesus warned him about when he was 12 and he forgot. We're talking about hours before, and yet when the opportunity arose and Peter was put on the spot and the the little maid said, oh, you were one of them, and he denied three times. And after the second time, he heard the cock crow, and it still didn't register. You know what? That is how how hard our human hearts can be, folks. I mean, the Lord's speaking, and we just don't get it. Oh, we're hearing, but we're not hearing. He was the one that betrayed the Lord. And you know what Jesus said to him? He said, Peter, you're going to betray me, but when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Peter, excuse me, Jesus believed in Peter before Peter ever got it right. We know about John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the one at the Last Supper that was leaning upon Jesus' breast. He was the one that was more intimate and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ at a heart level. We find that when all the disciples responded to Jesus, when He said, one of you is going to betray me, And all the disciples are saying, Lord, is it I? Is it I? But not John. John looked at the Lord and he said, who is it? John knew it wasn't him. We find that John focused on the love of Christ more than anyone. He said in 1 John, we love him because he first loved us. John's the one that gave us John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As we look at these lessons here about these two that were fellowshipping around the resurrection, I want to point out, first of all, that John is a picture of love, whereas Peter is a picture of grace, unmerited favor, I mean, the grace that Jesus bestowed upon Peter is what we would sing about today as an amazing grace. Just like the grace that God has bestowed upon us that are saved. It's an amazing grace. How could God save such a sinner as as I? How could God look and know everything about me and still love me and still want to save me? Boy, if that don't melt your heart, your heart's harder than you can even imagine. Love will get you to the tomb. These two men, they ran to the tomb. John got there first, but he couldn't go in. Peter caught up. Peter was the first one to go into the tomb. Love will get you to the tomb, but only grace will let you enter. Love is important, but you know what? Love is never enough. Christianity today puts all the focus on love, love, love. The gospel emphasizes grace. I'm not saying love's not important, but love by itself is not enough. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It is the grace that comes from Calvary's cross that saves you and I. Love demonstrated it, but it was the cross and the grace of Christ that's going to get us saved. I find also in verse number 9, if you look with me once again, for as yet they knew not the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead, I find that faith 
is a process. It's a process. Sometimes we get the explanation first and the experience later. Sometimes we get uh, the experience first and the explanation later. But one thing's for sure, the sooner that we believe His Word, the better off that we are. These disciples, as we've already seen, they should have known. Jesus said on numerous occasions that He was going to suffer, He was going to be killed, and that He was going to raise again the third day. He said it in Matthew 16, 21. He said it in Matthew 27, 23. In fact, he said here, they shall kill him in the third day, he shall be raised again. And it says, they were exceeding sorry. So it's not like they didn't hear what he said. They were exceeding sorry. They felt bad about that. But just because they felt bad about it, doesn't mean that they truly believed it. Isn't that an amazing thing? How that our emotions can sometimes cloud our faith. We could talk more about the rest of the the disciples. Thomas, for instance, when they went and told Thomas and the other disciples that Jesus was alive, Thomas says, "I, I won't believe it unless I see the nail prints. And just a few minutes later, Jesus shows up. Help yourself, Thomas. We don't find where Thomas touched him at all. Thomas believed, and Jesus said, you believe because you see me? Jesus said, blessed are them that have not seen and yet believe. That's us. That's us. Praise the Lord. Faith is a process. And you know, folks, the fellowship of the resurrection is a very personal thing. Thomas came to a true place of faith differently than Peter did. Peter came to a true place of faith differently than John did. They both came to a different place of faith than Mary Magdalene and Mary and all the other disciples. Each and every one of them had a personal testimony and story in which God took their heart's desire to believe on Jesus Christ and bring them to the place where they were trusting in the Word of God, and they knew that what they were seeing and feeling and experiencing was true because of the Word of God, not because of what anybody else thought, including themselves. In conclusion, if you would, go to the book of Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Thank you for your patience. I am almost done here this morning. Not in a hurry, but I do respect your time. And more importantly, I want the message to be effective. I don't want to preach too long to where you close your heart. Please, if Satan has started to distract you here this morning, make sure that your heart is open. Luke 24 and verse number 13, the Bible says, Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, 
answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and to have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. When they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. It came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. Watch this, verse 31, Their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. They said one to another, Did not our heart? burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures. Folks, there are many ways that we allow our feelings to overshadow our faith. Both sorrow and joy can hinder our faith. The disciples said in Luke 24 and 38 through 41, it says, they believe not for joy. Sometimes our Uh, We look at our spiritual life and we look at religion as nothing more than an emotional experience. But I've got news for you. Faith in Jesus Christ is redemptive. It is experiential. It is God through the Holy Spirit taking the truth of the resurrection and making it personal, making it meaningful, making it powerful in our lives. I think about These characters that we've already looked at, Mary Magdalene, I think about Peter and John, I think about these two on the road to Emmaus, and I think about my own personal testimony, and I think of how God brought me to where I am today, I think about how God brought me to salvation. I think about many of your testimonies that we've heard, and how you came to Jesus Christ. Some of you, it was in a church service, or a youth camp. Or in a Sunday school class. Some of you got led to Jesus Christ there uh, at your home by your parents. Each and every one of us have a different story. But it's all the same fellowship. If it's real, if it's genuine, then it is a fellowship around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Will you recognize when Jesus calls your name? Mary did. Mary, she instantly recognized. I think about Peter when 
he betrayed the Lord, and the Lord just turned and looked at him. The Bible says Peter wept bitterly. He recognized that look. Sometimes we hear the truth. You might have heard it since you were a little boy or a little girl, and the truth is nothing new to you, but has it sunk into your heart? Will you recognize when Jesus calls your name? Does your heart burn within you? You know, I think about that time when I was 18, when Jesus called my name. You know, my heart didn't burn. I didn't didn't feel like my heart burned like these two on the road to Emmaus. I felt like my heart just got tasered. Yeah, I was was living wickedly. I was getting ready to go to a, a, a wedding at a Catholic church that night. Didn't that sound crazy? Not, not the wedding part. I, I guess I should tell the rest of the story. We were looking forward to the reception in the basement afterward. I mean, they were going to have all kinds of booze. And I'd been, me and my buddy had been looking forward to that for months at the church. Crazy. God spoke to my heart when I told, looked at my nephew and I said, you know better The Holy Spirit called my name and said, Randy, you know better. My heart didn't burn within me. I felt like my heart just got tasered. I didn't respond to the Lord. It took took almost two years from that day before I finally... But you know what? That experience of the Holy Spirit of God taking the truth that I had already known, I knew what was true and I knew what was right, but it wasn't real and it wasn't meaningful to me personally. But from that moment on, it got real personal. And I had a lot of miserable nights. I had times when I was just miserable and I had no peace and I tried everything that I possibly knew to keep my mind and my heart distracted so that I didn't have to face God. I tried to do everything I could to appease God. Oh, I gave up this little sin and I changed this sin to a milder form. And I kept thinking, you know, I, I never said it in a prayer, but in my heart, I'm kind of like, how about that, God? And none of it made any difference. The conviction and God speaking to my heart and my heart burning within me, it just continued and continued and continued. And it wasn't until I put up the white flag of surrender and I said, Lord, I believe. Will you start believing what you believe? That's kind of an interesting statement, wouldn't you agree? The only time that we experience the fellowship of the resurrection is when we start believing what we believe. I think probably a better way to say it is there are a lot of people that believe in a God that they don't trust. We need to start trusting. Will you join the fellowship of the resurrection?